at the end of the day, as an artist, you're really just all you do is just make the song that you want to hear. So the most of that, con the as much control you have over that as possible, it lets you get to exactly where you want to take it if you have that level of skill. This is Commonplace, the show about creative people and the things that inspire them. I'm Nathan Thomas. Today on the show is Shalem, a regional favorite you may have seen recently on a Tudor's Biscuit World commercial. If you haven't seen him there, you may have seen him at the Huntington Music and Arts Festival, 9th Street Live, the Clay Center, or Live on the Levee. He'll be returning to those last two this summer, the Clay Center on June 10th, where he'll be giving a preview of the album he's working on and live on the levee on August 18th. In our conversation, we talk about his producing and writing process, the importance of giving an energetic live show, and the delicate balance of professional life with creative life. Here's my interview with Shalem. Most of the time I start with the production, like probably 80% of the time, it's the beat that tells me where I want to go. And historically, I used to really struggle whenever I had a song idea first, and then I had to make a beat around it because my fundamental understanding of music like and music theory was really bad. But I actually did decide to get into learning a little music theory. So I know I know the notes on the keyboard now, and I know my chords and all that fun stuff so ever since then since like i think i probably started studying it around november december and since like february i'm a little better at at act at actively getting to where i want to go because i used to just be chasing chasing the sound where wherever it takes me i would just follow it but now i can kind of take it in a direction i want to go do you think there's kind of a correlation between that kind of precise measurements you need in your day job and making things line up there to making, say, lyrics or alliteration line up with how the beat is? Like, is it almost the same kind of, like, math problem? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a similar a similar mentality of attention to detail. That's really all it comes down to. Um for me, a lot of my writing process, most of the time, whenever I write the, the lyrics, that's like not all of it. Because once I actually get to recording, that is when I start to kind of break it down syllable by syllable. And I, and I see, oh, I actually can't use this word because these two syllables in my mouth are slurring together. So I got to kind of break it down and like redo the line rewrite the line to where I don't have those two syllables back to back. So I have to like change words around, make it but fit a little better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of that kind of going back a bit. Do you remember when you first started writing or getting into doing rap? Was there a moment where it kind of just clicked or became the thing you wanted to do? It was the thing I wanted to do before I ever started. Everybody at some point in their, their life was like, oh, I want to be a rapper. That's really cool. So like I had told myself I was going to rap like years before I ever started. Um, and one day my brother came up to me and he was like, yo, you want to rap, right? And I was like, yeah. He was like, let's rap. 
So then we got t- together and just wrote to like a, a YouTube beat. And I don't think we had it. No, that, that, that was like a year before we ever got equipment. So like we wrote that one song and then it was like, all right, we can really do this. And then started the process of like writing stuff. And then we got FL Studio and started to produce our own stuff. And then we got a mic like a good bit after and started recording stuff. So you do all of your own beats then? You don't find anything online or work with anyone? Most of my stuff I make myself. Um, there's a lot of people I've met along the way that I really vibe with. Um, there's this guy, Mel Beats. Uh, he's he's a close... Collaborator. Collaborator, that, that's the word. Um, he did... What's that song? He did Might As Well. He did... Dang, I'm blanking. But... To, to answer your question, most of most of my stuff is me, and then there are some few people. There's quite a few people I've met on Instagram. Like, there was this dude, I think it was in Poland or something. But Real I international production. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the song Pray. That was a Polish dude that I met on Instagram, and, like, I saw him post that beat, and I was like, yo, let me have this. And he sent it to me, and we did that. Do you think doing a lot of original production makes you stand out compared to some other people in the state who mostly outsource that sort of thing? Not necessarily. I think what it does for me is that I have more control. Because, like, at the end of the day, as an artist, you're really just... All you do is just make the song that you want to hear. So the most of that... Con- the m- as much control you have over that as possible, it lets you get to exactly where you want to take it if you have that level of skill so it's been a very long journey of getting that level of skill because i had to learn how to do every single thing to that to that high level but and that's where learning the theory comes in right right which again i'm still learning i'm just now l- learning theory i am just now capable of my last rehearsal i had with my band i was actually calling out note names and like playing stuff on the keyboard and and teaching them the song and instead of just saying no it goes like that uh, instead so yeah we're getting makes there. you feel a little good yeah it's it's way more efficient that's for sure well i feel like when people see you live they'll see you in kind of a variety of contexts they'll be you and a dj or you and the full band how is the preparation for those different like scenarios like different like do you know that when it's just you and a DJ, you kind of have to bring extra energy because you don't have all these people on stage to play off of? Or is it even different at all? Not necessarily from that angle, but it's very different preparation wise. First of all, my DJ and I rarely ever rehearse. We've played together since since I met him probably in like 2015 right? or 16. Yeah. Um, so he and I just have that link so we never rehearse like it's probably once for a really big show that that we have together but for the band when there's so many pieces we have to get down and we actually have to map out parts of the the song because when it's me and a dj me and ilspin he just has the track and i just let him choose when he wants to do what so if he if I notice he's starting to pick up on the uh, on the ad libs, then the next show I'll take the ad libs out of the, the the song so that he can s- jump on it. But if he wants to scratch or do whatever, like he just does it. 
and I don't have to we don't have to coordinate that much because there's not too many there's not too many voices fighting for the same space you feel me but when it's when it's multiple instruments my band has six of us total so it's like everybody has to have their moment to shine and sit back and let let the others do their thing so it has to be a little bit more thought out you're just building the presentation differently right right when did you first link up with Ilspin? Because, you know, when I was in undergrad at Marshall, I worked with him a little bit at MUL, uh, helping him get a show on the air. But when did you meet him? I met him. So I'm not entirely sure how I met him, but I know he saw me. He was a judge at the Thunder on the Stage competition. So that was my first performance ever was at that talent show and he was one of the judges and he saw me and he was one of the people that that was that was 2015 okay so he was one of the people who voted me to be first place so he liked my stuff um i was collaborating a lot with a dude uh named tamel one he was he was a a football player and a producer and he knew he, he knew Spin, so they kind of we linked up through him at some point in time and then by the time I started playing shows at the press club was when he actually got involved in what I have going on I can't remember what year that was had to have been 16 or 17 when you're going from just recording by yourself you say your first show was thunder on the stage then playing at the press club what was the process of just like figuring out not necessarily stage persona but giving off that energy on stage was it kind of intuitive or did you have to like learn how to be on stage I actually had to learn how to dial it back like a lot my very first performance I actually I saw somebody post one of those Facebook uh, memories of it and I was disgusted like it was so bad like I had no vocal control and I was all over the place because like that my first time performing when I was when when I was backstage I was chill I was chilling and then when they like actually brought me to the curtain and it was my time to go I was so panicked like I just had the utmost my heart just started beating like crazy to where I was like I don't think I can do this at all. And like the moment I was about to leave and just give up was when the person in front of me stopped and, and, and it was my turn. So I was like, Oh, I guess it's time to roll. So when I got up there, when the song was like, it had like like a really eerie intro and then the beat just starts going. The bass was like super heavy. And when I like felt that bass rumbling the entire stage and like rumbling in my body, I just like kind of exploded and I was just like all over the place. So from that point, my my performance has always been 1000 and literally to this day, every performance, I'm just learning how to dial it back and pay more attention to what I'm doing and be more be more intentional with every gesture and every inflection of my voice and keeping my pitch together and breathing in the right spots and knowing when I need to stop jumping because this section of this verse, I don't breathe anywhere. So I need to have a full breath. So I need to slow down 
and ha- and catch my breath and then take a big one before this section of the song. So it's like a lot of a lot of thinking that still needs to be done. But yeah, instead of learning how to express myself, I had to learn how to cage myself a little bit. So how important is it when you're writing and recording to take the songs out and perform them live and see like, okay, maybe the crowd isn't so hot in the second verse. Maybe I can tweak it to bring the energy up or something like, is there a certain extent of road testing these songs? Typically, no. Um, Not directly, but once you get out there, I will write a full song and most most of the time I'll perform a song that's already out. So by that point, it's already I've made my my final cut and decision and whatnot. But once you get out there, you will realize what does and doesn't work. And that only just goes to the next song. Basically, you just know what moments click. Yeah. And what doesn't. So you kind of just watch for those while you're writing. So how long does it take you typically on any given song from like making the beat to exporting that final version? Okay, so we are going to ignore mis- mixing and mastering because that's a whole process in it in and of itself, one that I am not the greatest at. So that takes me forever sometimes, but <coughs> When I sit down to start a beat, most of the time, okay, here, I'll break it down like in my typical week. Most of the time, if I worked all week and Saturday morning, I get I get time and I'm like, okay, I'll be in the studio all day. I will probably make three to five beats throughout Saturday and then give up because they're all bad. And then Sunday... I will start probably on like the second or third idea. I get something that I really like and then I'll work on that pretty much all day and then got to shut it down, get ready for work. Monday after work, I'm like probably halfway through the lyrics. So then say it takes me another two or three work days after work to like get it done and then record on the fourth day or something. So I would say when I do get lucky and get the good idea going on a Saturday, I am able to finish writing it by Sunday night. And then I just got to record over the week and tweak stuff and blah, blah, blah. When you're producing and making the beat, does the topic or what the song wants to be about jump at you? Or do you have to kind of just keep listing on repeat until something clicks? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. A lot of times, a lot of times <clears throat> since I'm since I produce the beats, what my voice does vocally is normally like is normally just an extension of me writing another melody. So like I will sing a melody that I hear in my head and I'm like, that sounds more appropriate for my voice instead of a trumpet or whatever. So then I have a melody and then I start fleshing out any words that have those types of inflections in them and then once i get four or five words then you have enough to pick a topic from there so that's generally how that goes and there are times when i have something i've been thinking about a concept 
or an idea that I've been thinking about in my day-to-day life that I just can't stop thinking about. And then I will kind of come up with a line that makes that, that kind of speaks to that. And that, that's how I end up writing a song that is how, how I end up writing lyrics and then have to go back and make a beat to it. Who are the rappers or the writers that you kind of look to of like, oh, these are my people. This is where I kind of draw the inspiration from. That is a that is definitely a musical chair, like a rotating whoever I'm listening to at the time. There's something I really admire about what they do. So there's always something I really want to take from them. But I mean, starting off, it was a lot of a lot of ludicrous, a lot of T.I., um, I always say I love Ludacris for his his character and personality. The way he the way he presented himself was very character like. Like it wasn't just regular. Like he has these random inflections that just like jump out at you. And the way he puts his words t- together was very unique. And then Ti was very cool and sophisticated. And then, of course, Lil Wayne is just the best to put words t- together. So everybody, everybody admires him to to some point. I think Lil Wayne is probably one of the places I got my my love for wordplay and just saying the most off the wall stuff in the simplest way that nobody could have ever thought of. But it's like it's like this super good metaphor that is incredibly simple. That is what Lil Wayne is like the best at and also rhyming. When you are writing and recording, do you think about how it will translate to the full band setup or is what was that concern? I think about how it will sound and feel live, which is something I started to I started to pay attention to probably within the last two or three years. After having so much experience under my belt, I can kind of feel what other people will feel. So I don't I don't necessarily write out my parts for each instrument. But as long as that feel is there, then I know that I have created a pocket for my band to fill out like a lot of times. A lot of times when we get together and I show them a new song, I'm like, okay, this is the, the, the song. This instrument is playing this line. This instrument is playing this line. And the bass is normally, the bass, I have my, my bassist normally copy what, whatever my bass line is because my bass line is normally like the backbone of my entire song. So like without it, it doesn't sound the same at all. But for my guitar and keys, I just let them hear it. And I'm like, you can copy that or you can take it a different direction and we can use part of the the track and leave it in there or just whatever. But it doesn't really matter because as long as we have the bass line, the drums and my vocal, then like we have the essence of that song. So these other pieces, it's really just however they would like to express themselves. Has the guitarist or the keyboardist ever discovered or added something that's made you go back into the studio and think, oh, how can I replicate that and bring it in? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So the song Swipe does not even have a bass line. And my bassist came up with a really sick bass line on that. Um, 
But again, that was a year and a half after the song was out, so there was no point in changing it. But I wish I would have had that baseline in there. Um, <clears throat> in Sugarwater, my guitarist, what does he play? There's something in the final chorus he plays that is super sick, and I wish it was in there. It's so cool. Um, there's a bunch of those. There's Didn't a bunch he just move? Yes, he yeah. did. R.I.P. Casey. <laughs> We're going to miss you. Have you uh, found a new guitarist yet? No, I have not. Um, I'd kind of like to try it without him just for fun to see like what we can do with with one less voice. Um, kind of give the, the other guys more space to step out into what he was doing. But it's funny. I was putting together a set list for a show and I was like, yeah, we can go without him. And then I started on the first song and I was like, nope, he was the main part in that third song. Nope. He was the main part in that. It was, it was rough, but I think, I think we're figuring it out and mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be just, just as good. It's just different. Just needs a little bit of little bit of thinking and this is the uh, the set list for the clay center show yes that is the set list for the clay center show we were also going to do another one but yeah clay center june 10th yes sir how does it feel to be headlining a cool venue like that it is incredibly exciting um the clay center is dope it is absolutely one of my favorite places to play and it's got the best, one of the best sound systems for sure. It's got the best crew I've ever worked with. The Clay Center is just an amazing place. And it's a place where a lot of amazing musicians have played. So it's really cool to get the honor to be in that same conversation as them. Like uh, last year I opened up for Chawa and just like you always feel proud of the work you do and then you see somebody else who is further along and you're like wow that's crazy like i i'm good but like i'm really not that good like this is really good well getting chances to open for shows like that and being able to stand at the side of the stage and watch or see how their crew interacts it really there's a lot to learn from moments like that. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot to, to learn, especially watching how how they interact with the crowd or what what their music does for the, the, the crowd. Because like different different acts do different levels of crowd engage, engagement. Some of them don't even really need to be talking to the crowd. It's just the crowd is just the crowd is just kind of just drawn in and they're just locked in and that's that's the the whole point is for them to just be locked in and just zoned out and focused where that where whereas mine is more of a back and forth but yeah it's just really cool to see different ways of doing it and again seeing what you like and what you want to take away from it how important is coming up with like cool visuals or cool music video ideas to present the songs in this kind of visual way I think it's super important, not for any other reason than it's part of it's part of the experience. Like to me, everything Shalem is like an experience. It's not just the music. It's the interactions. It's the visuals. It's the way I sound. It's the way I think. It's the way I do anything. So I really enjoy 
applying my creativity to literally everything I do. Therefore, the videos is just part of that. And I really enjoy getting to I enjoy writing um, some cool video treatments and I definitely enjoy getting the awesome directors I work with to like take that concept or a few scenes and like make it into an actual an actual production so your videos are you doing the treatment or coming up with the basic idea and then approaching someone like dylan smith and being like hey how can you expand on this right for the most part um dylan actually i think both times both of our videos was 100 percent dylan because the one for might as well that was he has been in love with with that song since like I previewed it on on Instagram and it was like six months before I ever put it out. So when I put it out, he was like, "Yo, this song is it. You gotta let me do a video." And at the time, I was studying for my PE exam, so I was like, I was working seven to four, and then I was studying four to seven. So I was like, "Buddy, I have no time for anything." But if you want it, you got it. Let me know. Figure it out. I'll pay for it. Let's do it. So like that for that video, I just showed up on set and I was directed. So that was like 100 percent his idea. And for might as well, that was, again, most of his idea. And we kind of we drilled it down together a little bit. Actually, I cannot tell you whose idea it was to do the high school reunion. Oh, did I say my, my, might as well? I meant for Piper Wright. That's the second. He's been movie. kind of obsessed with the idea of like high school prom stuff. Like I think he's made, right, one or two other videos that kind of have that. Vibe. Right. So maybe it was his idea. <laughs> maybe he just can't get it out of his head. I uh, I'm gonna look at my phone for a second because I did uh, solicit a guest question. You solicited a guest question. Let's hear it. Okay, this is from Meg Osborne who. Uh, is, is present in most of your tracks. Yes, she is. Shalem, come in here. Yes. Uh, her first question is, how does he do it all? How do I do it all? Yeah. What is all? I don't know. It was her words, okay, not well, mine. The answer is bit by bit, one piece at a time. You know, one step in front of the other. All right. And the second is, how has his creative process changed over the years specifically from college to adult life and how that transition went <laughs> which is a much smarter question than anything i've asked so far <laughs> like she should be hosting this thing not me um how has my creative process changed i don't think my process has changed much except for just learning just knowing more, I know more, I have more things that I'm thinking about and actively choosing to do or not do at the same time. So like when I'm making a beat, I'll start with the drums and I'm like, okay, these drums are cool, but this is going to make this song into a sad song or a, a happy song or a or a dance song or, or whatever. Are you cool with that or do you want to stop here and restart? So like stuff like that was I didn't used to think about that. I would just follow it and kind of be tripping over my myself trying to get to wherever the hell it's going. But now that I know this gets me here, it's it's a more conscious effort. 
so like drums taking you into like a sad direction being like is it like oh do i have the headspace to be writing a sad song right now or is it just something else so i am not a sad song writer i never have been right so um and it's not more so the the drums. A lot of times it'll be like a melody, like I'll write a sad melody and I'm like, D- I don't make sad songs. So let's just not right? except for the times that I actively say I want to write a sad song, which I got a couple of sad songs that I wrote. They're pretty cool. But um, what was the, the question again? Let me refer back to her <laughs> note. Well, first, tell us about that tag and when how that came to be. And just okay. The Shalem come in here tag. Uh, I we were we did the music video for the song The Jaunts, which was the title track of my first album that I put out right after I graduated college. And um, this was actually the director, Doug Dameron's idea for this part was like. I like walked into to, to a house and then there was a girl saying, Shalem, come, come come in here, like come into this room. And Megan was my girl in question that was the co-star of the video. So he had her re- record that on his task cam and spliced it into the video. And one day, probably six to eight months later, I was just making a beat. And I don't know why, but I was like, yo, it would be really funny to do this shalem come in here and make it like my my producer tag and like sell people beats so like i did that for a beat i knew i was never going to use i threw it in there and i just thought it was the funniest thing ever i had an absolute blast so then i went back and just started throwing it on all of my beats and i was like (laughs) this is so much fun and then at some point in time it became a serious thing and i just started (laughs) doing it for real did you tell her that you were adding it to it? Or I did, did you just not. put a song out so. there and then get a text being like, what the fuck? I don't think we have ever talked about it, <laughs> honestly. I just did it. And then, like, after a while, I started telling people that it was her and, like, started tweeting at her o- about it. But, like, I don't think she and I have ever had a conversation that is, like, I don't think I have permission for this, actually. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you paid for the video shoot, then you own all of the recordings. I did not. Well, I didn't pay her anyway. Yeah. Damn. I shouldn't have said that. She about to sue me, dog. No, she won't. I need a, I need a, re- a release form. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a little too late. <laughs> no, her uh, original question there was transitioning from, say, being a creative person in college to finding room within having like a day job to do the like artistic goals you have hmm <laughs> transitioning i will say it was a very painful transition because right when when i graduated in 2018 i got a job right away and i started working mid-june and i had finished my album and i was already in like in promo mode and i think i dropped that album in september so like from day one, I was leaving work and I was, you know, shooting stuff and performing out in the streets in Char- in Charleston. I did a I did a whole lot of that. Man, that was painful. I went to every open mic and at Live on the Levee on Fridays. I would I would play on Capitol Street during Live on the Levee, and then when it was over, I would move to the 
to the corner where people were leaving and then I would per- perform there. So like that was a very taxing time and I actually did have a little bit of a mental breakdown there for like a month and a half where I was just over overworking myself because I just had no idea that I wasn't supposed to be nonstop for 12 hours a day every day. So uh, that was a little lesson to be learned there. But once I once I had that issue and kind of dug myself out of it, I've learned to pace myself and I've learned to schedule my, my myself. So I'm really I'm only I only allow myself to work so much throughout the day, so many, so much time. And then I have to stop. I don't allow my, myself to work while I eat. That was like one of the first things I had to, to, to change. Is like I have to sit down and watch you watch YouTube or TV or something every time I eat because that's the least I can do to like relax because normally when I'm done working, it's time to go to bed immediately. And like I did not decompress at all. Yeah, I know with my own job there are days where i just come home and i don't feel like doing shit mm-hmm. like not even really have energy to clean or anything or do anything creative and you're kind of just drained so it is definitely a hard lesson to find that balance mm-hmm. and especially with feeling drained and not feeling creative um back to the how does he do it all question that actually helps me because some days there's just no way that you can be creative but seeing as how there's so much work to be done in putting together or creating a career that i have something productive i can be doing so like whether it's just being on the on the computer just doing research like learning how to run a business how to do your taxes, how to file whatever, do what whatever. There's always something productive that I can do or finding um, better ways to produce merch. Like say I have a, an idea of finding somewhere a little bit more cost effective to get it made or what are the different types of material that you should put it on. There's always something else that you can do without that won't that won't drain take as much. It'll still drain you, but there's different pots of energy, basically. Like, you can be dead tired and still have the energy to go hang out with with friends because that's different types types of energy. So, basically, knowing how much energy you have in which category and just focusing on that and keeping yourself leveled out, that's what's important. I was thinking about the idea of forcing yourself to watch YouTube or something while you eat. I had a terrible habit at work for a while where I would just eat at my desk Mm -hmm. um, and just getting over that and making myself go to the break room. That can change just so much about how you feel in a day. For For sure, for for sure. And definitely, if you have an hour lunch, you got to go for a walk. You got to take it. You got to go for the walk, Don't give them any extra minute of labor. (laughs) Yeah, um... Yeah, I'll normally eat and watch a YouTube video, and then I'll just walk in the parking lot, take like big ass laps, until time's up. Listen to music or podcast or whatever. Yeah, yeah, just or another to video that that I don't have to watch. I watch a lot of video essays about dumb shit like economics. I love shout out my boy Economics Explained. Shout out how money works. 
I listen to a lot of educational stuff that I don't learn nothing from. It's just interesting. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And then I completely forget anything I learned. But it was fun while it happened. Yeah, I do a lot of like <laughs> pop culture video essays or like music video essays. I watch a lot of those film ones, too, on movies I never even seen. Yeah, <laughs> I watched like an hour long video about the early 2000s Miami Vice movie last night. It's great. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there's a lot of like aesthetic stuff to be learned from videos like that, too. Though. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. Mm hmm. So what are you working on now then? Like what's the the next bigger project? So I am working on an album. It is called Play It Safe. And it is about my, I guess, my perspective on life's journey and like just how, how I view things and how I've gotten to where I am and what I think about where I am. Because it kind of came from, I wouldn't, I have never classified myself as someone who's not a risk taker, but on paper, I've never taken a risk a day in my life, right? Like, I have never thought, oh, I should give up everything and pursue my dream because that just doesn't make sense. What does that even mean? Yeah, It's not even like... It's not even like I don't think I would succeed. It's like what does that what does that look like? I never had an answer. So when it w- when I graduated and, and I had to go to college, I was well and when when I was graduating high school, I was like, well, I mean, I'll go to college cuz people make fans in, in in college. So then I went to college and I made fans in college and I was like, well, this ain't going to do nothing for me. I better go get a job. And then I got a job and I worked a lot and still do music and I'm getting somewhere, but it's never, I've never thought, oh, if I drop out right now, I'm going to just go, I'm going to thug it out, and I'm going to make it happen because what does make it happen even look like? I've never had... Especially around here. Yeah, I've never had a concrete image and I don't, it's not like I have friends or at the time, it's not like I had friends in Atlanta that I could go crash on a couch for a year and a half until I magically blew up. So that nothing was ever there was never an option that that I thought oh just go for for it so it's always been it's always been figuring it out piece by piece and a lot of people would call it the safe route with which is why I called it play it safe but it doesn't to me there's still to me there's still that same amount of there's still the same amount of work being done you know like I'm still in the quote-unquote struggle period trying to make it my struggle is just different like my bills are paid but i'm fucking exhausted yeah and it is what it is like it's just it's you trade one struggle for 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 the other you trade one comfort for the other i know if i feel like i want to go eat anything right now i can just do it Mm -hmm. financial security is a little nice ain't it right (laughs) like i think it's worth more than I think it's worth more than whatever I would be gambling to get on the other side because one, I think I'm going to get it anyway, and two, I'm not in any hurry. Yeah. So it is what it is. You could stay on someone's couch for a year and a half, struggling, hoping you make it, having you know the cheapest ramen noodles you can find, or you can work a day job, fit in art where you can, 
or force yourself to fit it in and have a pretty decent life while you work your way up. Right. Because at the end of the day, like it's all still your life. It's all going to amount to like eight to 12 songs on Bandcamp or Spotify or whatever. <laughs> There's going to be the same output. Right. And it's all, it's, it's still, it's still like, like you have to enjoy being alive at all points in time or else it's not or else you're not doing something correct well, which by the way i have been not enjoying from like december until like last week i like had a realization like dude you are you are on that slope again that you're not you're not enjoying what you're doing and you need to be enjoying it because at the end of the day like what i'm working towards is going to be the exact same thing as what i do today like I make songs, I perform, I shoot cool stuff, I do cool stuff, I meet people, I talk to people, and that's it. Like the concept is there. Like everything I'm going to do at a higher level, I'm already doing now. So if I don't like it today, I'm not going to like it tomorrow. So I'd better make sure that I'm still enjoying it every time I do something. Well, it's especially important for songs like yours that are upbeat, fun, you want the crowd to get hyped, and if you're not feeling it then right. sometimes the crowd can see right through it and not right. be as engaged right absolutely and if you have a crowd that's not engaged you know then you wasted everybody's time and money well including your own that and just you know you know this from doing i know this from doing stand-up where if the crowd's not engaged and they're not into it you lose all energy on stage too. But oh, dude, it's tough. But if you agreed to do, you know, 10, 15 minutes or You're whatever, up there. you have to do the time. You have to be there. That sucks. Yeah. You are absolutely right. Like, yeah, when it's when it's off, you have to find a way to Just keep the lights on. smile and bear it. And smile and bear it. Act like they love it, even though you're not getting that from them right 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 there's a lot um when i was performing outside to strangers who did not care a lot of times i would like just close my eyes and just like act like i was recording and it was real tough but that was definitely good formation like i can i feel like i can perform in front of anybody and it just is what it is like if there's 50 people out there i can find somebody who's okay with what i'm doing so it is what it is versus, you know, you don't have to be so dependent on the entire crowd. As long as you have somebody, then you know that you are enriching somebody's life. Someone, yeah. yeah, like what you're doing, what you're doing is helping somebody. And that's kind of the whole point. Like you're doing it for them. So if somebody is receiving it and they're getting what they want out of it, then you're doing what you wanted to do. Is there anything I haven't brought up that you want to mention? I don't know, man. Just live life. Enjoy yourself. Don't take it too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. It's for damn sure. <laughs> God, that's and a yeah, big man. part of it, isn't it? Trying to stay humble. <laughs> it's hard. Um, Especially knowing your shit. You know if your shit's good. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, Talk about humility and knowing if your shit's good. That's a really interesting concept because I feel like the better I get, the more humble I get, which is really weird, but usually I've, it's the other way around. Right. I've always I've always known I was really good at what what I do even when I wasn't. But like 
once you learn and you like know better, then you kind of know, you kind of know what it means and it doesn't mean a whole lot. And that's where I think I've never had a, I've never, I've never had a lack of confidence, but I've never had an inflated self of import sense of importance. Like what I do is good. I am good at what I do, but that don't mean nothing to nobody and it doesn't have to. So like you shouldn't act like any, anybody should feel a certain way about your skill or your anything because just is what it is. It's like, okay, it's cool. You did a good job. What do you want me to do about it? A lot of times. And I think that, I think that kind of, I think I learned a little bit of that from performing. Like I said, you can be doing great and there's one person who loves it and someone else doesn't. Like when you get off stage, sometimes there are people who are like, oh my God, that was the greatest thing ever. And then there's a whole bunch of other people that are just walking by and they don't even try to make eye contact with you because it was just cool. You did a good job. What am I supposed to do about it? But as long as you appeal to that five or 10 people that come to you afterwards, and as long as they buy a ticket to the next show, then it's all right. Right. All that matters is all that matters is what matters. You feel me? Mm-hmm. What matters to whoever. So what's the timeline for getting this album look like? No clue. All right. I have no so idea. So we've got the title. Played I got safe. a title. I got seven songs, eight songs. So far? Yeah. Do you want to get like it to a certain number? Is there like a benchmark? So it's really weird because to me, an album is like 12 songs, right? Uh, I guess that's the old man in me. <laughs> uh, every album that I grew up on, you know, it's 12 plus and some of my favorite albums ever like up in the 20s and it's like every song is perfect, but it's like at a bare minimum 30 minutes. Right. Definitely. I think 30 minutes is a bare minimum because a lot of times I listen to albums as an entire chunk when I'm doing something. So like say I'm cleaning, I want to I want to experience this thing for the whole time I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And a lot of times it's been cleaning. So it's like I really hate it when the album is over and I started over because I wasn't done with what I was doing. Like I was on this journey for as long as I was here. So I think I think time is an important I think time is an important met- metric. It's got to last a, a little bit like I would love I would love every album I like to be at least an hour long, but most of them are not. You know, they you're lucky if you get 45 minutes these days. But yeah, so to answer your question, I don't know how many tracks I'm going to do because, you know, attention span is a thing now. And people are people are legitimately turned off when they see 15 songs like I'm not going to start because I don't like you this much. Like, I do not care this much. And. So <clears throat> I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to balance that that idea of giving <clears throat> excuse me that idea of giving people like me enough to enough to live with and giving people who are not like me enough and not too much to make them not want to try it at all. So I don't know. When you're kind of 
working on the uh the order for the songs on the album has there ever been a song where you're like okay i like this song a lot it's great but maybe it doesn't fit this track list or fit with these other songs absolutely absolutely um that is uh, that that happens a lot actually um what's it that that onyup bingo that we did a couple years ago the first half of those that was 16 songs i think like 7 of those were songs that did not belong on a uh, the mixtape. They were like, I made it, and right away I knew this this song can't be next to these others. So I just held it, and I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with it. So there's a lot of that. Um, I don't know if I've reached that with this album right now, but a lot of times I follow more the message I'm trying to get across more so than the way it sounds because I think you can make sounds work if you sequence them properly. Like if like any sound, even if you change, if you change genres, if you put this song after the right song, then they can flow into to each other. So a lot of times to me, it's the story I want to tell. It's the message I want to convey and with my album, The Jaunts, it was like a literal story. Like each song is in sequential order. But with Onyup Up the Mixtape, it was different bits of, it's kind of like, it was kind of more li- like a conversation. Like this is a topic. And then th- this topic is kind of, it kind of rolls off the back of the last topic. And it's like, once you're done thinking about this, then you start thinking about that and stuff like that. How important is building in moments that the crowd can interact with, like in swipe, getting the crowd to chant swipe, swipe, swipe? Like, do you think about that within the writing, or is absolutely. it just a happy accident later? Um, I swipe was absolutely a happy accident, and that was around the time that I started to pay attention to that because when I wrote that song, when I was just playing it out loud. I saw myself performing it and I could just hear people in my head saying it along. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is this is a moment. So from then on, you start to kind of know where moments could lie in the music. And then you kind of try to hone in on that. So another good one is (coughs) another good one is with Piper Wright, like fun facts. I don't know if I've ever told anyone of this, but like I made that that beat super quickly and I spent probably probably an hour and a half trying to say anything else. But what's up? Where the hose at? Because like I knew it was going to be a call and response with what's up. And then the first thing I ever said in my head was what's up? Where the hose at? And I was like, OK, that's cool. But I don't want to say that because I don't want this song to be dumb. I want it to be I want it to have a meaning. So I spent damn near two hours trying to find something else to say than where the hose at. But there was nothing more powerful than what's up, where the hose at. So I just had to commit to it. And sure enough, when you see that happen live, obviously it was the right choice. Like there was nothing else you could say that is a good response to what's up. Yeah, it's one of those things where within the writing, sometimes the song leads you to where it wants to be. And exactly. if you try to go away from that, then there's just 
nothing that like your brain will do they'll sound better exactly you just have to follow it they'll just reach out to you all right is there anything else is there anything uh that the publicity team needs to fit in Hmm. oh yeah loop back to the memory thing no i ain't thinking no memory dog i ain't got no memory not looking in the past just the future only the present, baby. We don't look at right the past. Now. We don't look at the future. We live in the now. Do you have any songs that like get you the most hype to perform live? Like, oh, you really enjoy performing those, whether it just sounds good, you like how Ooh. it's written, or yeah. just so, personal little uh, favorites within the catalog? Okay. Obviously, Sugar Water, because I wrote that and I held on to it. It was actually supposed to be one of the bingo songs, but I didn't include it in there because I knew it was special and it had to have its own moment. But Sugar Water, I know, is going to go well every time I play it. I think that was one one of the ones I previewed before I put it out. And it was like this went really well with nobody ever having heard it. But there are other songs. Um, Whoa, I'm Proud is one of my absolute favorite songs and i love it with the band i honestly cannot tell you if people like it or not i just keep playing it because i like it like and it makes me feel good me and my bassist steven harper like uh, every time we play it at rehearsal i'm like damn that song is good he's like yeah man i'm telling you that song is great i have no idea how people feel about it because like streaming wise it's not i don't think it's in my top 20 songs as far as num- numbers go so i don't know if anybody knows it i don't know if anybody likes it and i don't really care i just really like hearing it and i like singing it well, you need moments within the set that are kind of just for you to hype yourself up to right right it's uh kind of just a part of the composition of the whole show right all right is there um what do you think the biggest lessons you've learned so far is, and how do you think you can use those to, to your future? Biggest lessons, definitely patience. Don't be in a hurry because you're going to get there anyway, and you're not going anywhere special to me. Um, definitely uh very heavy on the you're not that that important and what you're doing is not that that important that is something you kind of you kind of learn to appreciate it more too whenever whenever somebody else wants your time and you don't have that time to give to them and it's not because they don't deserve it it's just that there's so many other things taking your time that you don't have it to give to that one so like i don't get i don't get too down on myself anymore when people i know are fans can't make it to a show because they have something going on like they'll be at a show if they didn't have some something else going on they would have been at this one but i know for a fact they will try to get to the the next one or the one after that like so it's it's not that serious. I'm not that serious. I'm not that important. It's all good. That's what I tell um, people who are starting stand up. Like it's just stand up comedy. It's you're not gonna change the world performing in a basement in Huntington, West Virginia. Right. So don't take yourself seriously, uh, but also respect the audience's time and actually write and memorize your shit. Yeah, definitely. That's. 
I don't know. I don't know if I ever had to learn that lesson, but I think that is really important to respect the audience's time and respect your audience, period. That is something I really try to keep at the forefront of everything I do. And that's why everything is so meticulously done. That's why everything is done to the best quality I can, because in this day and age, we're all so scatterbrained that like it has to be worth something to even look at. So like if you if I have a a graphic like a flyer or something for a show, like it's got to be something I like to look at because I want to be I want to enjoy looking at it and I want people to enjoy it because I respect them. I respect their time. I appreciate that they're giving me any of their time. So let me make sure that it's worth it. Find Shalem on every major streaming and social media platform. He'll be at the Clay Center on June 10th as part of the Soundcheck Sessions and Festival of Charleston. Tickets for that show are in the show description. Thank you for listening to Commonplace. If you liked today's episode, I ask that you subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend. These are free ways that help the show in a big way. The show is hosted and produced by me, Nathan Thomas. Our theme song is Rescio by Goodwolf from the album Car in the Woods. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode of Commonplace.